Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many, many ways of getting the show. You can download directly from our website at techcentral.ie. Use a smartphone podcast app. There's billions out there. Uh, number one, of course, is iTunes. Or you can turn us on every Friday on DAB Digital Radio. It's the future with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Joining me as always is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson, uh, talking about payments on your mobile about phones, social networks and news and uh, a company that we spoke to, an Irish company who are doing some really cool stuff, uh, have got some uh, nice wad of cash behind them this week. We'll tell you all of that um, uh, as we get on through the show. But Niall, firstly, tell me, Android Pay is, um, it's not that it's available in Ireland, but it's being trialled in Ireland, yeah? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, if if you're a customer of AIB or KBC Bank, then um, Android Pay is here. Um, and uh, I'm I'm a little bit conflicted about Android Pay because I I see the applications of the technology, but I don't see the problem it solves for me. Right. So here here's the deal. Uh, in the same way that you have your uh, debit card, which runs off NFC or near near field communication technology, um, Android Pay basically takes that technology and puts it into your phone. So instead of swiping a card against your regular card reader, um, you can swipe your phone against the same device and you can still pay for goods that way. Um, now, your regular NFC card has a transaction limit of, uh, it was 15 euro. I think it went up to 30 euro. Um, yeah, it is 30 euro now. And um, very, very simple, very nice way of conducting uh, conducting transactions. You don't have to put in your PIN. Um there's probably pros and cons to that, but um, so that's that's how that works. Now there's sort of a an extra layer of um, protection with um, Android Pay, in that what happens is you can swipe your card. Uh, sorry, you swipe your phone, and uh, you go up to your regular um, transaction limit as you as you would with um, a uh, regular card. NFC card. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, however, if you put in your phone's PIN number and that removes the upper level on any transaction that you can have. So you're not you, a fan of this. Uh, no, I'm not, because uh, you could have your phone unlocked for a for hundred different reasons. There are some people who never lock their phones. Um, meaning so there's no safety and uh, when we were talking about this beforehand I couldn't understand why you don't have to put a pin in on the actual app itself I mean that's brilliant it's you know swipe blah 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 make the payment up to 15, 30 quid whatever it happens to be you know it's, it's not going to kill you if it goes wrong um, but for I mean if you're paying for something for 200 quid or something like that you should put a, a pin number in but on the actual app not on the phone that, that, that's where I think that they have made a major mistake Mm, yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting setup process, really, as well. I mean, you don't just put your um, put your uh, open an app and put your mm. bank details in there. What you do is you download the app, uh, you scan your card by using your phone camera, mm-hmm. um, or or it lets you enter the the number manually. But I, I like the idea of taking a taking a picture, um, sign off on the terms and conditions. But um, the App actually doesn't 
pass on your card details, it uses a virtual number to represent the card information. So if somebody grabs your phone, say, they don't get access to your banking details on top of being able to make transactions. Ah, so okay. at least that's something. But as I said, it's not across the board yet. It's um, for AIB and um, KBC Bank customers. Uh, you need Android 4.4 or higher. Uh, and of course, activating it requires uh, some sort of data connection. But, you know, who doesn't have that? So uh, and there's a, a certain number of um, outlets that are accepting it at the moment, mostly coffee shops. Actually, which I guess sort of makes sense because that's the sort of high traffic um, kind of outlets, you know. True. And also, um, also a lot of people who are well up on their uh, tech stuff would uh, live in coffee shops as well anyway. So. Well, yep. Come come for the Wi-Fi, you know. This is it. Listen, uh, tell me the uh, the other big story then uh, this week is, uh, I, I mean, it's a rolling story with Facebook and all the social networks and hate speech and, and especially fake news. What's going on with that this week? Yeah, well, one of the things that the American election threw up was this massive barrage of news stories that were outright lies. But because they looked like news, they were posted on websites that looked like reputable news websites because they were about topics that people already had ideas about. Um, They got treated the same way as news from what you might call Hmm. reputable sources like all the mainstream media, sort of the New York Times, Washington Post, Hmm. ABC, CNN. um, It's getting getting harder and harder. It's kind of like, um, it's like anybody can set up like a really cool looking website and make it look they have a company with a a hundred people and and offices in several different locations across the country, but it's just one kid in his mom's back room. Do you know what I mean? That's true. And And there is actually a case of... um, uh, not even companies, but actual teenagers in Macedonia have been creating fake news websites with stories about Donald Trump mm. and making something like $40,000 a month from Facebook just from people clicking on these it's clickbait, fake yeah. news stories. So what, it is clickbait. So what, what are Google and, and Facebook doing about this? Well, initially, the problem was dismissed out of hand by Mark Zuckerberg. He was like, you know, that's it's crazy to think that these news stories had uh, any impact on the election because they, we are still very much dealing with the fallout of Donald Trump because he was so clickbait friendly because, uh, you know, almost on a daily basis, he'd come out with some controversial statement or he'd pick a fight with someone or, you know, I mean, the man was good box office um, and it sucked an awful lot of oxygen out of the Democratic campaign that um, and even still, I mean, he's picking fights with Saturday Night Live and boasting about, you know, great deals that he's meant to have made to save lots of American jobs. Then he comes out and he picks a fight with Boeing putting lots of American jobs under threat. <laughs> you know, it, it makes no sense what he does. And it, 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 he has this sort of car crash level fascination for people that on the one side, you have people that are ardent supporters that, you know, he actually could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and they wouldn't care. Um, and they will read anything with his name on it and it will confirm their opinion of it. It's confirmation bias, basically. You know, people write these stories that Donald Trump will do this, do that, do the other. Mm. And it enrages liberals on the other hand and it uh, emboldens conservatives Mm. and the alt-right on the other. So, 
you can make up anything you like mm. and if the headline is click friendly it gets the same prominence as actually research stories that cost money to make and vet and verify. Now, you're, um, you're in the journalism business. Uh, are there any ideas floating around about how to be able to sort out the fake news from, from, from the real news? Well, on one level, it's, it's not the job of mainstream media um, because we put out, we aim to put out a, a, a good product mm. that is made in... Well, you know, it's a fair contract with the readership. You set out to uh, produce something that's honest and trustworthy. And that's where a lot of your authority lies with readership. With a lot of these clickbait and fake news websites, they're designed to confirm what people think already, whether it's positive or negative. Um, And as as a result, they're very click friendly because they they adopt very... um, SEO friendly, kind of a kind of, you know, a very aggressive editorial tone. Um, and it doesn't matter that these stories are fake. I mean, any level of probity will di- will disprove loads of these, you mm. know, ridiculous conspiracies that come out. But for some reason, uh, during the election, when a conspiracy came out, uh, when a conspiracy theory would come out, it would stick to Hillary Clinton like Velcro uh, and it would wash off Donald Trump's back like like water off a duck, you know, um, you know, it's it's just the nature of that horrible, horrible election. Uh, so Facebook, um, who forever have said we are a distributor, you know, we're not, you know, we have no responsibility mm. for what goes up on our website. We're, you know, we're just the distributor. People go up, they share what they like. Um, and that's the beginning and end of our relationship. Now, internally, apparently, as you know, externally, Mark Zuckerberg was coming out and saying, you know, fake news, ridiculous, doesn't, you know, it's crazy to think that it had any influence on the outcome of the election whatsoever. Internally, in Facebook, they're like, this is this is actually really bad. Um, people are making money under false pretenses using our platform, mm. and it could actually have had serious knock-on effects. For the country in which we ba- are based, um, it's, it's you know, the optics of it are bad for one, but it could also affect how they get to operate their company. Mm. So it's, you know, it's doubly bad from a Facebook perspective. So in the in the tradition of sort of, for me, it's a half measure because none of these companies want to actually employ human beings to uh, moderate the content that's that's put on their uh, their websites. I mean, you're, you also know that Twitter has an appalling problem with trolls. Oh, uh, absolutely. And Google would have the same problem as well. Google has the exact same problem with fake news because if you set up your website, uh, that's a fake website, to link to a bunch of other fake websites, Google cannot recognise that those are fake news websites. Um, so all, all they see is, okay, website, good linkages, good shares on social media. These are all good signals. It gets promoted. So the fake news gets muddled in with the with the genuine news. Um, so it's a massive problem for Google, for Facebook, for Twitter, for any website or any service that relies mm. on social sharing, because you don't you don't know the bon- bona fides of people that are seeding this content and sharing it. Yeah, well, I think so, there's, there's, there's two things really that, uh, that need to be done. And I, I, I think we need, if Facebook and Google take out the financial incentive 
uh, for that clickbait uh, that, that people won't bother producing the news unless they have a political motive for doing it. So I think that's one thing. And then also people need to be educated as to, you know, well, think about what's the source of the news? Where did you hear this story? Can you double check it with uh, with somewhere else? It's a huge question for uh, for society and technology and how the internet is uh, changing our lives. And I suppose it's a story that's going to, uh, uh, to run on and on. Listen, just before we get into our interview for this week, I wanted to ask you about uh, Neurotas. Uh, we interviewed a lady from Neurotas last year and they're kind of a company that analyzed, they're an Irish company and they've come up with something really cool where they're able to analyze food and the ingredients of food and then match it up with what's good for you and what's bad for you and what's perfect for you and all that kind of stuff uh, and that they did some just mind-blowing stuff, I remember the interview um, but the, a year later uh, they've had some good news this week, what is it? Um, yeah, it's the founder is uh, Dr. Anora Kaldi. She's um, a biologist and a mathematician. That's her. That's her academic background. And um, yeah, she set up this company Neurotas, and their their mission is basically to unlock the hidden properties of our food. Um, and you know, we're not we're not just talking about. Um, uh, basic nutrition like getting more vitamins we're, we're actually looking at things with um, um, how would you say medical benefits mm. um, the, the basic molecules of our food that just aren't being tapped or aren't being made use of mm. so you know they, they will say it's unlocking the hidden properties of, of our food which is which is a great um, great mission statement and they have got some very good investment news this um, this week which means they are go- going to be able to triple their workforce in Dublin uh, they secured 3 million in funding from the European Union and they also brought on uh, two very high profile gentlemen as investors you might know one of them as you might you might know their names as Paul Hewson and Dave Evans. Ah, Bono on the Edge. <clears throat> Bono on the Edge, yeah. So um, great news for Neurotas, great Irish company. Um, we interviewed Nora Colley last year as part of our sp- two-part special on the um, ITLG uh, gathering uh, in the Helix. So go back. It's a great show and you'll learn all about Neurotas. Grand. Listen, Niall, thanks for keeping us up to date with the news this week. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Now, just going back to what we were talking about, uh, Android Pay, and it's just starting here in Ireland. Uh, during the week, Niall was there to talk to somebody in a kind of a similar service, but doing something that we just thought, when, when you look at the nuts and bolts and everything behind the service, you just kind of go, oh, wow. Circle Pay is the name of this particular uh, payment structure and Marika Filmon was the lady that Niall spoke to. Fascinating interview. Check it out. I'm speaking with uh, Marike Filmon this morning who is the MD for Europe of CirclePay which is sort of a, a casual payments app but uh, I guess she's the best person to explain it mo- much more than me. So Marika, um, tell us through, um, tell us a little bit about CirclePay and uh, where, th- where the idea came from because we're looking at a casual payments app that's person to person as opposed to person to business for the moment. Yes, absolutely. So CirclePay is indeed an app and it's also available on the website and what it enables you to do is actually doing all small payments in the day-to-day life that you have. So you go out and have a drink with your friends, you want to repay them, you can actually do that in a way that is seamless, very straightforward, fun, and actually very fast. Um, And so the way CirclePay actually works is you enter your email address, your phone number, you take a picture of your debit card, 
and then you're set to go. And you can send money to anyone just knowing their email address or their phone number. Now, the idea came uh, from several angles, actually. Circle's vision is to make money work the way the internet does. And if you think about it, today, you send an email to someone, whether they're across the table or across the globe, it's completely instant. It's free and there is actually no delay or any tolls being taken. Now, if you send money to someone, um, it's going to take time. It's not free and it's actually quite a cumbersome problem. You know, you have to enter IBAN and long letters and verify and do that. So we want to change that. And uh, in our vision, we saw that that was possible, actually, because there are a lot of new technologies out there that enable us to do that. A uh, couple of them. So one is everything that is around machine learning and artificial intelligence. Because rather than having to handle a lot of paperwork, you can actually onboard your customers much faster having signals that you can actually track. The other thing is cloud computing. So meaning that for any company out there, you can actually set a lot of things in the cloud and you can set very efficient operations. Um, the third thing is actually mobile. What we're saying is that today, all of us use mobile. You know, I mean, probably very shortly in the future, no one will actually have computers. We're all completely glued to our mobile. And what that means is that actually the, the interface of banking is changing because it's moving to mobile. And the fourth piece is actually the blockchain, which is an underlying technology that we use, which makes money move in a completely different way. So those four things led us to think, okay, money can now work the way the internet does. And the other thing that we saw uh, is if you look, for example, at Asia, uh, a company like WeChat has completely changed the way person-to-person -person interact, right? So in China, there's been a massive change around person-to-person um, -person payments enabled by WeChat. And we saw that trend going on and we thought, okay, something is happening there that actually hasn't really properly kicked off in Europe or in the US. Um, and when you, when you look at the competitive ma map, you can actually say some players are trying to do that, but no one is really doing that on a global basis, which is what we want to do. And uh, you mentioned some of the technologies that are uh, using, particularly AI and machine learning, just to start with. Um, from the perspective of an app developer, how accessible are those technologies to you at the moment? I mean, who do you actually go and talk to and say, look, we have this idea, uh, we want to use this technology, what can you do for us? No, actually, the way we do, we develop things in-house. So um, as a company, Circle is very, very tech-focused uh, and tech-oriented. So all the algorithms that we develop are proprietary. Um, and, and it's core to the vision of Circle. It's actually, the company was started in 2013. Um, and before launching our first consumer product, which was in 2015, and started with the US dollar in the US. Um, before doing that, we spent a lot of time building actually the back end and building all those machines and building all those algorithms that now enable us to scale. Uh, and I guess one of the problems that we hear an awful lot about in Europe and, and in the US, I suppose, is the shortage of talent to be able to, to fill these positions. Uh, did you find a similar problem? That's a great question. Um, there is definitely, you know, wherever you go, finding the best and attracting the best talent, whether they're tech or product, remains very difficult. I think there is also um, in school curriculum, if you look at it, are we training enough people to actually learn how to code? And that's crucial, right, um, to make sure that we will have the pipeline for the future. Um, so there is a lot of that going on. But Circle is actually based in five locations. So we can tap into those five locations to handle that problem. So we have offices um, in San Francisco, in Boston, in London, in Beijing, and of course in Dublin. Um, the Dublin office at the moment has uh, close to 20 people, um, half of whom are uh, high-rich, and we are also looking at recruiting tech and engineers in that office. Um, so I think it's interesting to see the, the workforce at the moment, you know, is also... Uh, we'll, we'll go also where jobs are. So we keep ourselves very open and where we find the, the best talent, we will actually onboard them. 
Uh, and of course, I know that, uh, you mentioned um, blockchain as well. What attracted you to blockchain as a, as a particular technology? Because it's, it's got an interesting reputation on account of Bitcoin that, you know, it is uh, sort of the digital currency of choice for nerds. But also uh, it's, it's had problems because of its main strength, which is its anonymity, where we saw um, in Japan the, the Mount Gox catastrophe. So what attracted you to blockchain and uh, how, how do you convince people that the same thing isn't going to happen with your app that happened elsewhere? Great question. Um, so what, what attracted us to blockchain is if you think about blockchain as a protocol for moving money, um, that philosophy is very interesting, right? The same way SMTP is a protocol for emails or HTTP for the web, the blockchain is actually a protocol that can help first move money, but then can also change the way we handle contracts and things like that. You're right in the sense that, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have a good reputation. So from a consumer perspective, uh, if you mention Bitcoin, it's actually something that is quite scary. Um, in our view, Bitcoin is actually, you know, the, the Netscape version of the internet. It's like the beginning of the blockchain. Uh, we're going to see definitely much, much more developments. Now, again, from a consumer perspective, our vision is not that anyone will want to buy their coffee using Bitcoin. Our vision is that um, people will still want to hold their fiat currency, the pounds, the euros, the US dollar. That's what we understand. However, consumers want the benefit of the blockchain without having to know what it is, right? Again, the same parallel with an email. Um, you don't want to know what SNTP is. You just want to know that you can send from Yahoo to Gmail and that it's completely seamless. Um, the same for money. You just want to know that there is something that makes it fast and easy and secure and you just can send pound to euro and there is no problem doing that. So Circle's vision is really using that as a protocol and in the back end and not making that visible to consumers um, and making sure that we actually leverage all the security features that are a part of that. I guess it's one of those things that if the consumer doesn't notice the technology at work, then it's actually succeeded. Absolutely. absolutely. I think that's the key of it, right? It's like, from a consumer perspective, what problem does it solve in your life? Is all those micropayments that you have to do, whether you have to do them cross-border or in the same currencies, making that completely seamless? And not even having you to think about what are the things that are running in the back end and what do I have to do to actually get there? Uh, one of the things that people get very concerned about when they're dealing with um, any sort of financial transaction online is uh, security. Now, one of the features of CirclePay is you actually take a picture of your card and it extracts the information from it. So how do you handle security from the perspective of hanging on to people's credit card numbers, but also not hanging on to their CCV, CCV numbers? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So couple of things on that. Um, for Circle to operate, we need to be regulated. And so we've had to go in the US and state by state get a regulation uh, or any money license regulation. Same here in Europe, we are regulated by the FCA and then that enables us to passport in all the different countries. To be able to be regulated, you need to comply to all the laws that are in that country, meaning also data protection law um, and also meaning going undergoing an audit to actually figure to actually um, check how your backend is done and how your backend is secured and how things are actually run. So Circle has done that both in the US and in Europe. Um, and so that's the first layer. The second layer I would add is that uh, customers' funds are actually held at large banks. So for example, in Europe, we work with Barclays. So your money, if you hold any money in your Circle wallet, um, your money is actually going to be held at Barclays. So it's as secure as it is when you have your traditional bank. And the third layer um, of security that we've actually put, uh, apart from like encryption and how we keep data and how we make sure that everything is segregated, is actually in the app as a customer, you can add several layers of security. 
for example, if you have, um, say, an iPhone, you can add Touch ID anytime you open the app. Um, you can also add a PIN code for going above a certain amount. You can have two-factor authentication. So we've added those layers to also make sure that people are in control of how much money they send. Also, if someone accesses their phone, that they can't actually log into the app without them having done that. It's quite a proactive uh, approach to security and, and on the data end of things. One thing that we're seeing growing up in the EU at the moment is the is the General Data Protection Regulation, uh, or GDPR, which people, um, they either know about and are quite worried about, or they don't know about and are about to be hit with a, a very nasty surprise. Uh, how do you track what's going on uh, in Europe and the US at the moment, where there are very different relationships to data? Great question. So we have internally uh, compliance teams uh, that are... And, and our compliance team have people who have tremendous experience in that space and are very, very plugged in with regulators to be at the forefront of actually understanding what the regulations are, but also what the regulations should be, right? So, because being a tech company, what we what we know is that actually with a lot of tech signals, you can actually figure out very quickly if there is a fraud or a risk issue. And we can do that in a quite seamless manner. We believe that it's actually important to protect the consumers to um, leverage all the signals to actually be able to track what's going on. Now, certain large banks, for example, don't have those capabilities yet. So we work hand-in-hand with regulators to actually move those those different regulations forward. Do you think that relationship with banks is something that you'll probably end up exploring uh, at a later date, maybe even sort of perhaps as a white-label product where you will have, you know, Barclays transactions powered by CirclePay or something like that? White-label? Definitely no. (laughs) Um, That's not a route. We we really want to build a consumer product and a Circle brand out there. Um, However, um, having key relationship with banks that are open to innovation is is very important for Circle. And so, for example, what we've seen with Barclays, uh, who are the forefront of innovation and who actually, um, the way Barclays want to work with fintech companies is working with them, serving them new services and products and making sure that they can actually remain ahead of the space and, and still be informed on what's going on. Uh, we think that's really crucial. And so the same relationship that we have in Europe, we're actually developing also. We have the same similar relationship in the US and so on and so forth. Um, looking sort of at the global picture at the moment, we're, we're in sort of a state of political flux in the US as, we, as we're uh, recording this. Will that change your opinion on doing business in the US or what your Irish operation is on a, or anything like that? Or is it very much everybody is in a holding pattern at the moment? I'd say everybody's in a holding part- pattern. One thing for sure is that we're looking uh, with very attentive eye at what Brexit will really mean, right? Because the way it works for Circle is that we are issued a license, we've been issued a license by the FCA by the UK and that license we can actually passport throughout the EEA zone now if the UK decided to actually lose those passporting rights then what that would mean is that we would need to actually have a license in another country from the EEA to be able to passport that what we've seen which I think is quite interesting is that The UK has had a very innovative stance on regulation and enabling fintech partners to enter the market. Um, And and prior to Brexit, I would say that a lot of other European countries didn't necessarily have the structure to to do that. And what we're seeing now is that actually there is some sort of a competition going on, you know, and and states are proactively approaching fintech startups like ours, for example, and saying, okay, come to us and we can also do that. We also are open to innovation. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Marike Flamont from Circle Pay. Niall, just before we go for this week, uh, what's our one more thing, the one little thing we couldn't include on the show? 
Yeah, actually, two little things worth mentioning. Ooh. We're continuing our Focus on Research uh, series on techcentral.ie where we get to meet um, two researchers, one from Coram, which is a medical devices research centre, and from Marai, which is the Marine Renewable Energy Institute. Excellent. You get more on those and all the Irish tech news as it happens with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our website, techcentral.ie, as well as our weekly tech radio show, which you're listening to right now online and, of course, broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next weekend, uh, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, and from Nile at Tech Central HQ, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.